everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the Internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video and audio interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Uh, check it out at authormagazine.org. Got a great interview my conversation with Elizabeth Rose Stanton. Uh, also, you can read my I've got articles, uh, great article for my, by Jennifer Paris this month, uh, my daily, my blog, which I do about three times a week there. Check that out as well, authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication. Since 1955, uh, the uh, PNWA gives um, classes. They teach classes at their uh, headquarters in Issaquah, Washington, and I will be teaching a class there starting May 26th, Saturday, May 26th, from 9:30 to 12. For five weeks, I'll be teaching a class in personal essay writing, my favorite form. Yes, indeed. Uh, you can find it on. Uh, you can go to PNWA.org. Org, and I believe it's on my website as well, williamcanauer.com. In fact, if you want to learn about any of the things I'm doing, check out my books and my blogs. and my All of it's there, williamcanauer.com and pnwa.org if you want to learn more about the PNWA and their conference and their classes. It's a great place. Uh, all right, well, today's guest, this is going to be an interesting conversation. Uh, Natalie Singer, a woman who's worn many hats, wears many hats in her life. She spent 10 years... Did Natalie writing for papers up and down the West Coast, including the Desert Sun, the San Francisco Independent, and then our very own Seattle Times here in Seattle. Uh, and she c- currently uh, curates and programs content on two global Microsoft websites and works as an editor for the tech giant's culture storytelling program. But, of course, she's also an author. She's author of, most recently, back was published March 1st by Hawthorne Books, lovely publisher down in Portland, uh, she published California Calling, a lyrical self-interrogation of obsession, emigration, and identity. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How are you doing, Natalie? This book of yours, this very personal book, has been out for a month and a half now. Yeah? Yep. Came out, uh-huh. yeah. Exactly. How are you doing? How's it, are, you enjoy, did you, are you enjoying being a, a book author? I am enjoying it. It's it's kind of a leading a double life a little bit. Um, when you publish something, like you said, that's so personal, um, you kind of have to contend with having a very personal story out there in the public realm. So yeah. it's very fun, and it's, it's rewarding to finally have um, a, something that I've worked on for many years out there published, but it's also a little bit scary. It's a little bit what? A little scary. bit scary. Yeah. 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 What are you scared of? You can't of? hide the story. Well, you can't hide no. the story anymore. It's, it's out there, and anyone who knows you but didn't know you that well can read it, and a whole bunch of strangers are reading it, um, and they have this very intimate view. Of course, it's, a, it's an intimate view that I purposely created, for people to yeah. see, but it's it's still very intimate and it's out there. So that is a little bit, it feels a little exposing, but um, I knew that when I was working on this book, and that's what memoir is all about, and that's one of the reasons that I love 
the genre of memoir both as a writer and a reader because it's it's a true very personal story and it helps us connect with each other yeah it is very personal and i have learned from i write about my own life all the time you know not in well in long form and short form and i do think that seems to me i don't know maybe i don't know what did you have you done uh book events for this have you gone around and just done some reading and met some yeah, readers I've have you done that you, some, yeah. yep i've been doing some readings and some book events um here or there yeah. And, yeah i've met met readers in real life yeah in real life that's interesting uh <laughs> and my experience my experience when people read my stuff and want to talk to me about it is, is i do feel like it's not even though i'm the, usually the protagonist in whatever i'm writing about sort of uh they're not really reading about me. I always feel like they're reading about themselves, you know, even though I'm the, it's my story. It's really their lives that it's, ultimately it's about them. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, that does resonate with me. I think that that's true. I feel, I feel like two things. One is that when people are reading something that I wrote about my personal life, that they are um, translating that story in their minds to their own experience and they're busy figuring out how they can relate to it personally. But I also feel like, and maybe this is just a trick I play on myself, but, you know, when they're reading this story where, yes, I'm the protagonist and maybe I'm looking at them in the face and talking to them about this story, the me on the page is a bit of a different me than the me in person. So I still feel that there's kind of like a veil of, privacy or something some kind of veil that separates the you that you choose to show on the page and the private you so I I kind of am trying to hang on to that private me Um, and I'm also showing something that is another version of the private me yeah I think that's a good way of putting it because I mean I always stress this to my clients and students that you are you you're the one sitting right there. You're the one talking to me right now. And there's no way all of you can get on the page. You're too big. You know, there's too, it's too much. And it's also too growing and too, and too um, you know, you keep changing. And so you, you create like a character on the page in, with your name. That's how it always felt to me. And you kind of have to make peace with it. They're not really you. They're just some, almost like a, kind of like an avatar in a way. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, I like I love the way you described it as a character on the page. I've thought of it that way too. And I think when you're especially when you're talking about a memoir that's maybe classified as a coming of age memoir, which is sometimes how I talk about this book, California Calling, you really have to keep that in mind because, you know, the person in the book, the character in the book, that character is is fixed in time and the person we are today is different than the character at the time that you're telling the story and especially you know I'm very fond for my 16 year old self or my 18 year old self yeah. or my 22 year old self um, and so remembering that as a writer it kind of enabled me to put more of my you know maybe embarrassing moments on the page or those experiences that we all have to navigate when we're coming of age and they're just mortifying and it's the first time that we're doing all of these things and we're just messing it up that we have to so remembering that that was the me then and we all have 
the, the person that was the us back then and that it's okay to share that because that's not the me now. So it's a good right. way to kind of keep, get brave, I guess, about sharing your story. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, can't, I wish I can – I'm blanking on her name now. She's actually a Seattle novelist who wrote Helga was the novel I interviewed her for. I forget her name. God, I can't remember her name. Oh, well. But we were talking about this very either, subject. I Oh, she's really cool. She's a Seattle woman and a great writer, I've got to say. But um, we were talking about this because she had written a very sort of poetic memoir about her own life. We were talking about memoir. And I said, well, it doesn't matter. I said, about the past, I said, I can't really remember exactly what happened. I think I do, but I, don't, I, can't, I didn't keep detailed notes. But I do remember, I said to her, what it felt like. And that's what I'm always trying to write. This is what it felt like to be alive at that time. And she took it one step further. She said, I don't think you even really remember what it felt like. She said, I think you're really, in a way, I know you did more journalistic approach to yours, but sort of making it up. In other words, your memory is, is like a work of fiction itself, and you can never really, really, really know what happened. How do you feel about that aspect of it? Well, that's absolutely true. Our our memories actually are works of fiction. <laughs> we like to <laughs> that, you know, whatever memories we do retain, that those are little glimpses of truth into what happened in our lives. But really, the way that the brain works, our, our memories are completely subjective, and everything impacts our memory, right? So um, a few years ago, I actually went back to, to grad school to get my MFA, which is like kind of a whole adventure in and of itself. I wow. was 36 when I went back. Wow. But um, while I was there, I did a lot of research when I wasn't doing creative writing. I did a lot of research into memory and how um, memory is formed. And I learned a lot about how memory works. And everything impacts the memories that we have. So once we recall something from our past and then if you take it one step further once we start once we write about that the memory actually changes once we write about something oh yeah so oh and memories you know like let's say we have a photograph you know i think i think a photograph i write about in my book is a photo that i have of uh me as a little girl i was probably about three years old and I was crouched by a lake feeding the ducks, and my mother, who was, you know, very young when she had me and very, very kind of, uh, like she had fairy faucet hair and very kind of skinny, 1970s, beautiful, um, was kind of crouched in the corner just outside the frame of the photo. And just seeing that photograph and then trying to write the memory that it conjured changed the memory for me. So now when I think back, I think I have this whole picture of myself on that day feeding that duck by the lake when really I don't have anything about that in my mind. I have the picture, and I've turned that into my memory. So it's really fascinating right. to think about how memory works and how subjective it is and how we can manipulate it. Um, and I think all memoirists have to do that because unless you um, ha- have a video recording of your whole life 24-7, you have to rely on memory. Yeah, and I always look upon the memoir uh, as, you know, I'll say to my students, look, you're not writing an autobiography, by which I mean no one's reading the book probably to find out about you because they don't know who you are, <laughs> right. you know, and so no one knew who Natalie Singer was probably, most of the people who read it. No one cares. So you have to write it. <laughs> right? I'm sure somebody did. Maybe your your husband read my it mother. and remembered who you were. <laughs> but... Um, 
but you know they don't know who you are so you have to they're reading it for the same reason they'd read a novel essentially you know whereas if i read i read john cleese's autobiography i read it because i love john cleese and i wanted to you know hang around with him in a book form for a little while and so you have to make it a work of art because really i mean think about it no one who reads your books cares about if any of it's real i mean they assume it's real but that like that's not why they're reading it they're reading it to be moved and inspired and and to learn about life kind of you know absolutely. the same reason you read a novel oh. yeah absolutely you know but it's your life that you're turning into art you know <laughs> that's right yeah i think it's a blessing uh, and a curse i i wish i could write fiction but it's it's just something that I really struggle with. So right now I'm... Did you try? I have tried, yes. I've tried just quite a bit. Just... And, well, maybe I'll improve, but, you know, I, have, I, I, worked, I worked as a journalist for so many years, and it's very hard to kind of turn off that programming in your brain that um, prioritizes and values, you know, quote-unquote truth. And so I uh, have that. I feel uh. like true stories are the, the real stories for, for whatever reason. So I have a hard time. Oh, yeah. Oh, I have a, I, I, you know, I've been a storyteller all my life. And so I have a, a, a very flexible relationship to facts because they often got in the ways <laughs> of the stories, even the stories about my own life. Um, there's a, uh, I was talking to this Norwegian novelist and he said he learned to write novels because he was a kid and his relatives would come to Joe Nesbo was who it was. Joe Nesbo. That's right. And, um, he said his relatives would come every Christmas and they would tell stories. They tell the same story every year. And he noticed the story kept changing every year and got better and better and better as they kept telling it. But the details just changed the details. Just, and I feel that way about my own life sometimes and the details and the facts and the journalist. But you can't do that. If you're a journalist, you have to, you're so wed to what actually happened. What a drag. I know. right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's terrible. And that's why, you know, memoir is, in between. It's, it's somewhat flexible, yeah. and that's what I, I love about it. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, so this is interesting. And, oh, by the way, I, I, you're, you're fading in and out a bit. I, it may be your phone, and it may be just the way you are close to the phone. So if, if you can, make sure you – I'm having I'll trouble hearing you sometimes. Yeah, I'll sit up. up. There you go. Good posture. <laughs> uh, I, I know one of the challenges for journalists, some of the ones – I remember Katie Hafner is a, a, a New York Times journalist I, who wrote a memoir, and the first time she had to put the word I into her – it just freaked her out because she was so – like before her memoir, which was all about her relationship to her mom and her husband who passed away, the most personal thing she had written was when she went to buy a rug once, and that was like too much information, she felt. So it was a big deal <laughs> from her moving from journalist to memoirs were just all on the page. So did you have to go through that? Although you did, well, you took the MFA, but journalism is so like, is not about you, the journalist, unless you're doing something really funky. So was Absolutely. that hard for you? Yeah, I, it was hard. It was hard. So um, I transitioned away from daily newspapers um, in, you know, about 10 years ago. And I wanted to start doing some creative writing, and so I took some classes. This was long before I went into the MFA program. I took some classes, right. one of which was uh, a year-long uh, memoir class with a um, wonderful, very well-known um, vocal writing teacher here in Seattle named Theo I Nestor. I bet I know who. Author. Um, Theo? Yeah, Theo Nestor. Yes, yeah, exactly. Theo. Yeah. yeah, and so the first night that I was in that class, like it hit me, oh, I have to write the word I, and I, I kind of freaked <laughs> out. 
yeah. I wanted to yeah. like, run for the door. Like, never mind, I can't do this. This it just felt wrong, and I had to I had to overcome that, which eventually I did. But yes, as a journalist, you're trained to keep yourself out of the story. It's not about you, and you would never write I. So no. that was something to overcome for sure. You know, it's weird. I also tell my in a weird way. I tell my students, it's not about you either. Even though you're using the word I. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a, you're, you you wanted to make it about something bigger. I, I always say, look for the universal in your story. What is the yeah. universal that applies to everybody? That's what you're really looking for, isn't it? Absolutely. I think especially when we're writing about difficult things, hardships, yeah. or trauma, which of course a lot of people want to write about because that's those are the things that's, that shape us. Yep. But no one wants to sit around and um, just write a cro- read a chronicle of misery, right? <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> we want to see, see the bigger picture, and, yeah, that's the challenge is to figure out how to do that and also tell an authentic story. So, yeah. I have, I have a theory about the hardships. I'm going to share it with you. This has been on my mind a lot recently, but memoir is all about hardships, and I have a lot of clients mm-hmm. who work, come to me, and they've led some lives just filled with trauma. And I think – the things that we, consider, are, that we find traumatic and that we have to write about are the events that make us question something that we kind of know is true. So we question our – some event makes us question our value or question our voice or question our sort of inherent mm-hmm. goodness or question the inherent goodness of just people. And so we have one belief about ourselves that we sort of hold in our heart, but then something happens and we can't ha- figure out how this thing could happen if I'm a good person or if they're good people or if love is real. Does that make like it, the two of like the event seems to contradict our our uh, most deeply held beliefs about what it is to be human, and we can't make sense of it. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. Yeah. I I agree with that. And I there were a couple of those events that for me are really at the center of my story. So one of those is that um, the way that my story starts out is with a scene where I'm a, I'm 16, and my family has kind of um, blown apart a little bit, and I'm called to be a witness on a witness stand in a in right. a custody hearing. And up until that point, you know, I'm a 16 year old girl. I've always been told my whole life, I'm so mouthy, I've got such a big mouth, I should wash my <laughs> mouth. Um, and yet, I couldn't speak when I was questioned on the witness stand. And so, that is one of those pivotal moments that forced me to, you know, really, like, disassemble everything that I believed in my life. Like, what I believed about myself was that, you know, I was in charge of my voice and nobody could silence me, and that was a moment that changed that, and that's very central to the the book and the story. So I do think those moments are key for us in our lives, and as writers, that's where, like, that's where the heat is, as they say. Absolutely. Absolutely. You want to write about those moments where you, your identity, your sense of meaning is questioned because that's where I think you learn. That's really the crucible. And so you went right for it, smart woman that you are. You went right for the heat and uh, you interrogated yourself. It was a self-interrogation. Didn't, I didn't actually mention when I <laughs> mentioned the title to our listeners. It's California Calling, A Self-Interrogation. Um, uh, why, so you called it why self-interrogation? That's an I've never I, that, it, it caught my attention. What? Why that? 
Why did you decide? Did you decide that's what it was going to be, or did you realize, oh, my God, I'm writing a self-interrogation? That's what I'll call the subtitle. How did it work? Well, it did the form of the book, and the book is kind of structured with these um, interrogative questions that you could consider chapter titles or chapter headings or section headings. And, right. yes, that was uh, I was writing more of a traditional narrative for a few years, and I realized that it wasn't working and that I had to go more deeply into the, the themes that were underneath my story. And one of those themes was this idea of being silenced um, or silencing ourselves and how do we find our voice after we've been silenced. And so I started to think, I started to think about that memory of not being able to speak on a witness stand while I was being interrogated and thought through um, other moments in my life when I had been interrogated. And I became really fascinated with this idea of interrogation. We've all been forced at some point to explain ourselves, to explain our existence, to legitimize ourselves to some authority. And that became very important for me. And the book became a way to sort of interrogate that construct and figure out how to, you know, move forward having my own narrative and my own voice and kind of taking that back. And so I started, really, I started to play with it and have a lot of fun with it. And that's how it became um, the structure of the book. All right. I have a theory that (laughs) fun I have a lot of theories. (laughs) I should warn you. But here's another one. That fun, you said you had a lot of fun with it. And I think in finding our voice, fun is integral in finding our our voice as a writer. I think until you're having fun, you haven't actually found – it doesn't mean you're not going to struggle and have challenges. But when it starts getting fun, that's when you know you're hot on the trail of what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I think that's that's true. Yeah, I mean, I think you can think of it as fun or you can think of it as, as a writer, am I finding ways to surprise myself or delight myself? Because so much of writing is just for many of us, myself included, is it's like a slog. It's sometimes (laughs) we have to force ourselves to get in the chair and we have to force ourselves to crack this code and it just seems so impossible so yeah. I find that if I can remember, like, why I love this, because I love this because story connects us and because language itself is fun. Like, language is really fun. And remembering that can open doors in our writing, and that was true for me. And in this book, I used a lot of kind of found forms or stolen forms. There's little snippets of um, police language. There's snippets of media news stories. There's um, poetry. There's all the different kinds of forms, and a lot of that was just because I found it fun, and I found it like an interesting way to tell a story where I didn't get bored. So I yeah, love it. fun or you know what fun is? is? Fun is another way to think about fun, and this is I think this is critical for a writer is you, it's something you can lay your attention on effortlessly. It requires no, there's no, once you're on it, once you're, because your attention has to be on something all the time, and you probably know what it is to say, okay, I'm going to make, like, just like you were saying, I'm going to make myself pay attention to this thing. I'm going to make myself do my taxes. Okay, here we go. Got to do it. Put my attention <laughs> on it. But when it's fun, there's no effort. There's no effort. It's, it's, it's just, that's just where your attention wants to be. It feels yeah, great. Yeah, and we just get carried away a, with it. 
Yeah, you, you can just because we. I think as humans, we spend a lot of time focusing on things we maybe uh, do. We really want to be, but we kind of have to, especially once you're an adult and you got to do it a lot. And it's so nice when you can let yourself find something that you can just leave your attention on and just play with it, play with it, play with it. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, I All agree. right. All right. Well, thank you for indulging me. That I. Uh, I. So you've written a book. Awesome. Awesome. You, you're a busy woman. You've got a job. You've been a journalist. But now that you've written one book, will you write another one? Do you think there's more books in you? <laughs> you, put, you? I like how you put that because, okay, first of all, this is a very common question I'm finding out. And I'm sure I'm guilty of asking this question of so many authors over the yeah. years before I published a book. And now people are asking me this question. And I like how you framed it because the other week someone asked me the same question, but they said instead, they said, so are you going to be a one-hit wonder? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, said, really? God. You have to frame it that way. You're going right oh, the my God. I can't. Every uh. writer. Um, yeah. So, yes, I, I do um, have another project that I'm working on or trying to work on, and I do think – but I'll write more books because, you know, it's hard. this is like something that's kind of addictive and it's a lot of writers are compulsive and it's hard to stop. And it's something that we either feel compelled to do or we just love it so much we can't stop doing it or it's fun but painful. It's somewhere in between. And I've always felt like I have to write. Um, it's not something that, that I could put aside. So, yes, I'm working on another project. I'm trying to... Um, crack the nut of what the form is and, right um it'll be yeah. it'll be something that thematically is um very connected to the place i live now which is no longer california but the pacific northwest and uh-huh. um yeah so i'm i'm trying to generate um writing from this place in the world now well, well there's a lot to, yeah. there's a lot of stuff up here Seattle's a good is Seattle the Northwest in general. I think there's a lot to write about this particular area, in my opinion. Yeah, there sure is. I think there's a lot going on. Well, all right. Well, that's good. And so uh, now, let me. Add, we don't have a lot of time, but when you when you made the, uh, I think I'll stretch this out just a little bit. You're worthy of a little more time, Natalie. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, uh, as you went out to the world and traveled the globe, talking to people about this book. What was the nature of the conversation? What did what did what did people want to talk to you about? Did they ah did they want to come up and tell you about their own lives? That often happens to me. Did they do that? Yes. So people definitely want to tell you about their own lives. Um, there were there were some definite points of connection. So one thing that has happened a lot is that anyone who's lived in California or even visited California immediately wants to talk about their place or their their space uh, in California, okay. which is really interesting and mostly pretty cool. And what that has confirmed for me is that as humans, we are so connected to the places that we attach to and that we live and that shape us. And so people really want to talk to me about where they're from. And somebody once asked me, like, I'm from Oakland. What are your street corners? <laughs> and I had to tell him, like, I don't know if you didn't get through the whole book yet, but I didn't live in Oakland at all, so I don't have any street corners in Oakland. But I, he, he forced me to tell him my street corners 
in the Bay Area, right. which I just lived on a like very nondescript suburban cul-de-sac. So I was like, I don't right. think you'll recognize my street corners, but it's a way of, it's a way of connecting. And people also, um, even if you've never been to California or live there, there's this kind of outsized mythology about it. Yeah. And people want to yeah. talk about their image of California, what they've seen in movies, what they hear in music. And that's, that's really fun. Um, and yeah. then people also want to talk about their dysfunctional families, which is also yeah, oh, sure. um, yeah. something very universal. And so, yeah, I've been doing a lot of talking about that with readers, and it's great because that's, you know, it's a point of connection for all of us, most of us. I think, I think if we did a poll and people were honest, I think more people would say their families were dysfunctional than functional. I'm just willing to bet. Mm-hmm. I think you should yeah, almost call true. functional families. Um, we need to almost come up with a new name because dysfunctional is the norm. We should call the functional families abnormal families. <laughs> right. Or why, why even classify it, right? Like we, exactly. just, we have our families and they're all over the place. But it's fun to talk to people about their family experiences and, the, you know, old families, new families, how families figure out what shape they're going to take. And that's a lot of what this book is about too. So yeah, it's very interesting conversations that come out of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that's great. Uh, and so if people want to learn about you, they should go to what is it? It's a, it's Natalie Singer writes. Is that your, that's your website. Yeah. Natalie Singer writes. Natalie Singer writes.com. Exactly. And they can find me on Twitter and my handle is Natalie underscore writes. And um, they can find upcoming events and blog posts and book reviews and just general writing about the writing life that I post through my website. And I also have a Facebook page, which is Natalie Singer Author. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, I have one more question for you, Natalie, before I let you go. Uh, I want you to finish this sentence for me. Writing has taught you anything. It's taught you what? What has it taught you? I think it's taught me that um, when it comes down to it, we're all much more alike than we are different and that our stories are the way that we can connect with each other and understand each other. I like it. And I agree 100%. That's awesome, Natalie. Awesome. A good <laughs> lesson, for sure. All right, Natalie, well, congratulations on the book, and good luck with the next one. Thank you so much, Bill. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. Yes, we are more alike. We are. That's why we connect to the universal people. That's why we do it. That's right. We all look different. We all look different. We all sound different. But, man, what moves us is all the same. Yes, it is. Love and fear. Uh, Eric Jerome Dickey, the novelist Eric Jerome Dickey, will be my guest next week. Looking forward to meeting him. Till then, find something you love. Find something fun. Find something fun that you can lay your attention on effortlessly and do it! <laughs>